Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy uh, new first podcast of the year. Happy basketball is supposedly returning in a couple days, week. We'll see, though, because we might Knock hear on. on Wednesday morning. That's Knock not- on wood. Yeah, men's basketball appears that they're back. Women's basketball still not back after yet another game was postponed. Um, Dan, I know you and I have kind of talked about this a couple times already. Uh, we even went through that schedule uh, when it was released and thought, hey, there's too many games stacked close to one another. If there's one positive test, this is going to ravage this thing. Um, and lo and behold, um, the ACC, most of the conferences in the country um, are losing game after game um, to COVID-related contact tracing, um, cancellations. I know Villanova just announced today that they are missing another three games. Um, obviously, SU has missed several games and had the reschedule this week, um, replacing Florida State with Pitt. Um, Pitt's had its own stoppage uh, since a few days after ours. In general, uh, this whole thing's in, in, in disarray. And that doesn't even get into, you know, on the, on the women's side. I mean, Duke's team completely said we're done with this season. Um, I, I, I don't see this ending in a way that's like coherent or really recognizable, similar to really how the football season worked. Um, so I don't know. Uh, Dan, do you think we should just kind of maybe hit pause for a month? I know Jim Beheim's kind of against it based on his statements today. Um, but but I, I kind of think that it might benefit everyone to hit pause create some bubbles and uh and then reassess yeah i mean we've talked about it a couple different times like at the start um you know college basketball was one of the first sports majorly affected off the jump because of the tournament didn't cancel last year and and COVID really happening amid the conference championships so we all thought like you know the ncaa is not good at anything but you you would imagine that they'd at least you know with seven eight or six or seven months to plan out something for basketball this would be the one sport that would kind of figure out how to do this. And they just didn't really do anything. They, they didn't really come <laughs> up with a plan at all. Like, look at what the schedule surprise, looks like. Surprise. They're like, all right, we're going to start a month later. We're like, okay. And, and the that's same it. amount of games, the same, basically like a couple fewer games. Um, we're actually going to pack things closer together and we're not going to do anything looking like resembling bubbles. And uh, it's it's basically going to be actually worse for the layout's actually worse for this than than even a normal season, um, amazingly. Uh, so that was what they did, um, and it's not working. Uh, like obviously, there are some schools that have gotten games in. There are some schools that have like weirdly flout seemed to to flout uh, the normal procedures, like Gonzaga playing a game, uh, you know, the number one team of the country playing games earlier this year, like a day after they had someone test positive. Meanwhile, like we contact trace with Buffalo and we're out for 10 days. So like just there's, there's and not to blame, you know, I, there's just no leadership at the top that's telling people what to do. So you have one conference doing one thing and one conference doing another thing. And, and it just made for a whole mess. Um, but it's affected basically everyone now. Uh, the COVID is just getting worse um, until we get into a point where like people can get vaccinated that are actually going to affect college basketball, which is probably not for a while now. Um, and then like, when when Coach Tate did his his whole thing, and obviously people made fun of it because he came off of a bad loss and he doesn't look very good, but I don't think he was wrong. Like I think he was he was probably right. He just chose like a weird time to do it because everyone just he has this history of every time like something doesn't look like go, it's going a hundred percent well for Duke, he like disappears for a bit. Um, over the history of you know over the course of his career, um, I still think like he actually was making pretty cogent points. Um, and if we were smarter about this, we'd wait until like 
you know, February or March, and then just, just like playing, play the baseball season basically or something. Just wait until at least some, like a good chunk of people can get vaccinated. And then we can like mitigate the amount of worry that we have in terms of who's getting the virus and whatnot. So it's, we've, we've seen, we've seen referees who travel this ridiculous schedule all season every year and should probably have been adjusted long before this. Um, they've been uh, a major source of positive tests uh, and issues with games. So it's just like, Nothing was figured out. I guess like the one thing the NCAA has done is now, I think as of today or Monday when we're recording this, they announced that the tournament would all be held in Indiana and that's a good move. And like, yeah, thank you for doing this now in early, early January. Can we have, can we have not figured a situation like this out for the whole season? Like this is just, it's really asinine how little preparation has gone into this given the fact that this was the first major event that was canceled in this country and they had six months to to figure something out and just like sat on their hands. I mean, I know we've talked about this so many times in this podcast, but like, it's just continues to be very frustrating. Yeah. I, I, I don't really see an end in sight to this because enough notable coaches, even Bayheim included, uh, kind of, you know, refuse to say like, re- refuse to consider like what happens if we, you know, cause there's plenty of, of schools that, that are having fans. There's plenty of schools that, and that really do, you know, think that the only way the season counts is if it occurs on campus. And, and, and I don't, I don't buy that idea. I mean, there, there's plenty of coaches. Krzyzewski's one of them. Uh, Rick Pitino, even though he's at Iona now, like his voice still matters. Like he, he's another, like there's plenty of others who've expressed like this, you know, folks like Jeff Capel, who've obviously dealt with it. I think Jay Wright, does Jay Wright have it, or is just a lot of cases within Villanova? I, I I forget. I think he might have gotten it, but or he wanted a contact trace, but I, I don't remember exactly what the situation there is. Yeah, so like it's so you, hard to even keep track. Just like it's just so widespread now, it's it's a, it's hard to even know who's had it, who hasn't had it at this point. It's nuts. Absolutely, and and realistically, like Jim Beheim himself had it, mm-hmm. um, you know, not like two months ago. I just think that, you know, the the this is where central leadership is important. This is where. Um, you know, a, a lack of a lack of federal guidelines, lack of of, of you know state to state guidelines, are is, is really detrimental. And and in football, it was obvious enough that it wasn't working. Um, here with basketball, with with such shorter turnaround times and a lot more games, um, in basically the same amount of time the football season took place, and um, clearly clearly something is amiss. Um, you know, they thought they thought enough to put bubbles for conference tournaments they put thought enough to book out to put bubbles for um ncaa tournament but it just doesn't seem like they're putting two and two together yet on, on the status of this season and, and and i really do think that if they want to continue if they want this season to to wrap up as planned with with, with enough games to really determine a true field you're, you're gonna need to to have a bubble at some point because right now like SU's got to make up three games. There's plenty of other schools that need to make up three or more games in conference play. Like that's not easy, especially when you stacked all these games against, uh, on top of one another. So I, I, I have at least a little concern for, you know, March Madness as planned. I'd be fine with it taking place in May. Um, I understand that that's probably not going to mean anyone's really vaccinated um, among players, but it could mean coaches that are, in, that are vulnerable, other folks around programs that are vulnerable, um, obviously referees, it, it just seems like right now, like what's going on and, and, and the spread, I, I think that 
because again, and in part because of these changing standards and, and because of the, you know, different standards from program to program and in part because of just the, the, the how widespread it is nationwide right now is, is that you can't really, it's not that you can't play games on campus, that you can't travel as frequently as they're traveling and, and make it work. Because like the NBA is making it work, but the NBA is also paid professionals. They're getting tested, you know, several times a week. They're, they're, they're doing their due diligence and doing everything they possibly can to keep everybody healthy on the court. Um, and you're just not seeing that because there is no central governing body uh, right now to, to tell the NCAA teams what to do. Yeah, I feel like a broken record talking about it, but um, it's just a lot of the issue comes that boils down to the fact that these are not athletes with any kind of uh, collective bargaining power. Um, so you can't just say like, hey, our athlete group is has come to the table and agreed to this, this and this because they're not being paid. Um, and they're not, they're not quote unquote professionals, even though we all know the situation here. Um, if that's the case, like, I mean, you can agree or not agree with like the fact they're playing NBA or NFL, but at least the players have representation in the matter. Um, and they've come to an agreement. It's not perfect. And I'm sure that we know that there are players who disagree and we're given the chance to opt out, et cetera, et cetera. Here, that's like the only thing they were given the chance to do is opt out. Um, well, realistically, just... all these players are basically professionals at this point. Anyway, when you look at how they're being treated during the season, mm-hmm. They're completely isolated from the rest of campus. Which is just, it just like everything is showing, it's basically everything showing the ass of college sports more and more with this whole situation. And like, I, I just would feel a lot better about it if I was just like, okay, well, these guys are getting paid, like the professionals. Like, yeah, it sucks that the NBA players had to go down to Orlando for however long. And, but B, A, they had a choice and B, like at the end of the day, like it is their job and they're being handsomely paid to do it. And I know that's not everything, but at least it's something. And here it's just like, the college athletes are basically like, well, we to even have a chance to go play somewhere. I probably need to go do this, even though it doesn't seem very safe and I'm not going to be able to see my family and, and no one seems to know what we're doing like leadership wise. Um, so like, well, I think like the stuff, what the NFL did was Ted Vassanine and every time someone goes on TV and is like, well, they didn't have to cancel any games. Like, yeah, they only like moved half their schedule around because they were doing this ridiculous dance and they had teams playing like three times in 10 days. It's not really you know, an accomplishment. And they but finally yeah. decided they didn't care anymore. And then, yeah. And then that, <laughs> like, but at so least... that's how you win. Usually is when you just don't care anymore. I could think of another situation in the country. And then that also has this going on, but, but I digress. <laughs> um, but even that is like, even at least there, there was like leadership coming from somewhere. It might not have been like perfect or whatever, but it's still better than the NCAA just throwing their hands in the air and talking to a big game about how they have everything under control for, for months and then they just don't um so yeah we'll see i expect us to get i think we will get through a tournament i think we will limp through it i think it'll be a total mess um hopefully i don't know it hopefully someone just figures something out maybe like you put like a week like a like a week or, or 10 days in between like the end of the conference tournaments and the ncaa tournament and you just get everyone involved in indiana tested lockdown full-on bubble um and do that. I don't expect that to be the case because there is just isn't the organization for it. But like that's the one way I could see it working um, is to just mimic the NBA as much as possible. And it doesn't seem like uh, that's even realistic. So um, yeah, we'll hopefully get through a season. I like to see this team play. I enjoy this team, um, but I'm not super optimistic about it. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I agree all around. Um, speaking of this team. Um, it is worth talking about uh, the pit game, which as of right now is happening on Wednesday. We also it feels got like we haven't played in three months. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that, that's the problem now is that you know 
time is a flat circle and, and, and three months could be three days and three days could be three months. Um, but yeah, on top of the Wednesday game, we also have uh, the Georgetown games moved to primetime, um, which was an interesting development and one that I'm definitely looking forward to, um, though I won't be able to watch all of it, um, unfortunately. Have some uh, previously at home, but, but plans nonetheless that were already scheduled for that time slot. Uh, but just looking at Pitt, uh, they've they've looked when they've been on the court, they've, they've looked okay. You know, they haven't looked as bad necessarily as, you know, one might have thought. Uh, they lost to St. Francis to start the year. That wasn't great. Uh, but then since pit, then, though. yeah, that, that's typical Pitt. Uh, pit. Really, yeah, that's like the first round of the NCAA tournament. You know, just, 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 just vintage Pitt. Um, but then since then, uh, solid wins against Drexel, against Northern Illinois. Um, obviously, the win against Northwestern. That looks a little, at least a little bit better in hindsight. Um, you know, beat Miami, beat Gardner-Webb. And then they had a 10-point loss to Louisville, despite the fact they were shorthanded. Like, I, I think this team is going to challenge SU. And, you know, if SU doesn't have... SU doesn't have the, the, the requisite number of practices under their belt. And like, you know, they, they'll, they'll have four practices according to Bayheim before the game, which is something, but it's not everything. Um, so I'm not necessarily like banking on us seeing the same sort of crispness out of them that we saw in the second half against Buffalo. A lot of times passed, a lot of, uh, you know, practice times lost. But uh, one thing helping out um, SU is the fact that, uh, you know, Justin Champagne is uh, not playing. So there goes 17.8 points per game, 12.3 rebounds per game um, for Pitt uh, right off the bat. That leaves just two double-digit scores left in the lineup, uh, Tony and Johnson. Uh, Tony with 16.2, Johnson with 14.4. I like our odds here, Dan, um, but I'm also not going to like just chuck this up as a win uh, due to previous scars from the uh, Jamie Dixon era. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it them being without their like their clear best player. I think is a a big thing. I don't think we should undersell it. Um, but I am a little scared about this long layoff we've had. I know it seems like we've gotten more practice time than we did uh, before the Bryant game. Um, in terms of like we're the return from our break here, uh, but Pitts also had a pretty long layoff. They 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 last played I think on the twenty second. Um, that lost to Louisville, so they've been out for a bit. We've been out for a bit. Um, I don't know what Pitt's practice situation has been. Um, but also like, I don't think we'll be missing. I don't know. I don't think Barama's back yet. Right. He's, he's still. So is practicing, but he was supposed to be back for the Florida state game. Initially. Yeah. Um, but it seems that, yeah, we, we have him practicing, but it's not, not sure if he's going to be full go yet. It's yeah. I mean, Again, like I think Champagne being out is very, very significant. So I think that gives us a big edge. Um, but overall, I think it's a decent pit team. Um, I think they're probably taking like a step forward from these last couple uh, really rough seasons. Um, but they're always a tough out. We know that. Like, you know, I'm never going to go into a pit game feeling like really confident because I've just been burned too many times. Yeah, I mean, SU has won uh, it's seven straight in the series now. Um, yeah, we've played a lot tougher, and but like it's just nine and I one in our last ten. Yeah, I need more than that though. <laughs> it, just, it was <laughs> so bad much. for the the beginning of my my Syracuse uh, fandom. Dude, they didn't um, beat Pitt once the entire time I was there. I think we beat Pitt my senior year for the first time. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, the problem is like even even some of the I know we've blown them out a few times recently, but then there's a lot of those like 
against like a bad pit team or a mediocre pit team, there'll still be like that like six point game that's really close down the stretch. Um, but on paper, I think we, we we should be a solid favorite. I'm just I, I think if we if it wasn't for the long layoff, I'd feel a lot more confident given given their absences. I don't blame you there. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'll, I'll I'll throw a prediction out there, um, just because. There's only so much you can talk about with two teams that haven't played in like three weeks. Um, I'm going to say Syracuse 75, Pitt 68. Hmm, okay. Um, yeah, I don't even know if I've, I've definitely seen this Pitt team play. I, I, I think I watched some of the Miami game, um, which they won by 15, but I can't really tell you that much about them aside from Champagne being really good. Um but I know it's like it seems like they store more a bit more than they have previous years. Um, I'll go Syracuse. I'll go. I'll go seventy three sixty nine SU. I think it'll be a, a real nail biter. Yeah, I think the only only reason we we distance ourselves a little bit in there was I think just some foul shots at the end. But otherwise, yeah, which I we're good at this year, weirdly. Every like five or six years now, we have like a good foul shooting team. Wasn't like the. The 15-16 team was like exceptionally good at foul yeah. shots for like a Syracuse squad. A couple of the teams in like the recent like weird years have been good at, good free, good at free throws, bad at, at other stuff that were using else. <laughs> things that actually like the things that matter even more, like actually shooting, like actually shooting from the field. Well, we might get back to basketball, admittedly, but Dan did want to kind of talk about um, college football playoff a bit. Um, before halftime here, um, I'm assuming you watched the two games. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> along with some of the other action. But but really, there's two 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 not that watchable games in the second half. Uh, obviously, the ACC 0 and six in bowl season overall. Take what you will from that. But a uh, resounding 0 and two in these two games. Um, Dabo looked like he was coaching scared. He looked like he was severely outcoached um, in the Clemson Ohio State game. Definitely haven't felt that way about Clemson since the West Virginia game. No, really. I, I honestly think that the last time he was out coached like that was a Syracuse game in 2017. Yeah, that's fair. But that's like a different stage, I think. Obviously, he was out coached then. Um, but like, I don't know, on a, on a major stage like this. Oh, yeah, on a major stage, completely different story yeah I, I i would agree that the west virginia game that 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 70 to 30 or whatever it was blowout um was like the last time that clemson looked that dreadful on, on that i mean even last year lsu was just lo- so loaded with talent it didn't yeah. matter the lsu game and some of the alabama champion the two alabama championships and obviously good games closer good games but like lsu last year was just like a historically good team right um so you don't really hold that against them this is the first time and i, I don't know what it was i, I it was it was very it was very jarring because a like it's not like Ohio State looked great in the lead up to this like they they limped by Northwestern Justin Fields had thrown for like 110 yards in that game um, I know they were out without Chris Olave who is their best receiver Ohio State um, but like they really they looked like okay against Michigan State and obviously like they won those games but like I, I was very confident that Clemson was going to go in there. They just looked like the sharper team. They looked really hot going into the game um, with the way they handled Notre Dame, who I, I, you know, again, I think we talked about this, like this is probably the best Notre Dame team that Brian Kelly had. And you still see what the ceiling is there. Cause like, I don't think they have a lot to like feel bad about in that Alabama game. It's just like the lay of the land. Um, but for Ohio state, which obviously is a lot of talent to go in there and they really pushed Clemson around. 
um, up front. Like, it reminded I, me of, of of like that that arrival of Ohio State back in like the national title picture. Yeah, against Alabama in that Sugar Bowl. Really, similar where, like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, what they did to them, and then what they did to like Oregon, obviously. Um, in the championship game where just completely like in Clemson's not a finesse team necessarily. Um, and, and they really, really pushed them around. Uh, I, I was, I was pretty shocked. They, they also like rattled. I mean, I feel like Trevor Lawrence rarely looks rattled, but you know, if he's not going to have a good game pretty early. Um, and he, and he it's funny, his, his not great game is like 400 yards. And no, three I know. <laughs> but like, like you, you know, when, when there's going to be some more mistakes and you know, when there's going to be some issues for him, like pretty early in games, I feel we've seen uh, it multiple times. Yeah, <laughs> As we, we talked mean, about for our game with him this, this year, season, like yeah. some of his worst games that were done Syracuse. And like, you kind of saw the same thing where like he, you know, you can tell the talents there and he's liable to throw like an 80 yard touchdown on you because the receivers are so good. But Ohio State just looked like the more talented group, and that was not what you're accustomed to seeing. Um, and feel like Justin Fields just that. Like obviously, there are concerns about you know whether the the, the weird handling of his of his injury, which looked really bad, and he seemed to be favoring the his side the whole time after taking that like kidney shot from Stalski. But um, outside of like the, the <laughs> medical, color, question, me, color me surprised uh, about where that came from. Right. Yeah. But like outside of the 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 medical. Uh, you know ethical issues there like damn like that one of the best college football performances I've, I've ever seen like this out of like joe burrow last year um just unbelievable um and it really looked like obviously like I, I never know how much to put how much stock to put in like the motivational stuff um because it's so hard you can't like you know i'm, I'm pretty analytics based um if not as much as some other people but like i always kind of look things through that frame and it's impossible to say like what does what effect does Dabo saying really stupid stuff before this game have? But <laughs> Dabo literally seemed like he was going out of his way to give them the most bulletin board material. Like he was like testing the efficacy of bulletin board material with the stuff he was saying before the he, game, he, he, he ranking became, Ohio State eleventh. But, but, but he he the king of like non bulletin board material bulletin disrespect. board material. Just, yeah, just pure disrespect. And then he literally just hands Ohio State all the. He might, he, might, he might have also handed Ryan Day like the Jaguars job. Um, the Ryan Day, the Ryan Day versus Urban Meyer for the Jaguar. Apparently, Ryan Day is in a different kind of interview, but the the whole <laughs> just even the the thought is so good. Well, because then what I mean, but we already know what what, what those dominoes lead to is Luke Fickle just leaves Cincinnati for Ohio State. Yeah, it seems like Day's gonna stay there. Um, it seems like Urban's gonna take that Jaguars job though, which <laughs> which is, is it's gonna be fun. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's gonna be wild when when he quits. Uh, in the middle of next year to spend more time with his family. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, like d- d- does he realize that the people that got on his nerves at Gainesville are the same, absolutely the same people that are going to get on his nerves in Jacksonville? Like, they're the same people, like, like, not even just the same types of people, they're the same people. I think he's either going to be, re- I don't think there's any in between. I think Urban's either going to be really, really good there, because I can see him being a good NFL coach based on his temperament, like, it depends on how he frames it because he's kind of a hard ass, but I feel like he knows enough about personalities to like tone it down and be what he needs to be for the NFL since he is such like a top-down manager type. But I could also see this being like exactly what you said, like like pulling a full-on uh, Petrino at the, for the Falcons, like gone after 12 games, uh, returning, and then he goes takes like the no he needs like the Notre Dame job after Brian Kelly like evaporates or something, or like USC after or or, or Texas finally... when they realize that they hired Steve Sarkeesian to replace someone who's just like Steve Sarkeesian. Yikes! Yeah, what happened this week? 
<laughs> yeah, there, there's been a lot of fun college football like randomness this week. Uh, we won't get into it all because I'm sure this uh, this audience is not necessarily uh, the place for it. I do not know what they want from us if they're not here for like random college football talk. Because hey, Syracuse hasn't played a game in anything in like two weeks, weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and no, a lot of other rough. stuff has happened. Yeah, the, yeah the, the, this has been supremely rough, and uh, yeah, I don't really know what they want from us um, if not this. But um, Dan, why don't we talk a little bit about beer since it's been a while? Yes, there's been plenty, uh, plenty of beer to go around for Christmas and for New Year's. Um, yeah, so going back to last time we spoke, which I believe was December 21st, um, in Stanford for Christmas, uh, I went over to Lock City Brewing, grabbed some of their new stuff. Um, I had their uh, Shaker Booty Shake uh, Milkshake IPA, which is delicious, and their Calm Like a Bomb, uh, kind of like a peanut butter stout. Um, both really, really excellent. I think that's, I mean, of the two breweries in my hometown, I think that's the best one, even though they're very tiny. Um, it's basically a little, little garage, but they, every time I go there, I'm really impressed with the stuff they're putting out. Um, and then for new year's, I stocked up big on a bunch of stuff. Um, I found some heady topper, which, uh, like the, literally the day we were having a heady topper discussion on Twitter, I walked into my local craft beer store and they had a lot of it. Um, and I didn't buy that much of it, but I had, uh, I bought a couple cans and had one for new year's, uh, which was nice. Um, I had some no save point from Interborough, which was solid. Um, I got growlers of the cocoa baked stout from Sloop, like a coconutty, chocolatey, really smooth stout, which is delicious. Um, also, uh, psychokinesis sour from Grimm, which is really solid. Um, I had a can of Hello Brooklyn, which is a Threes Highland Park uh, collaboration, which was quite good. Um, and then most recently, I had a, a Thin Man Other Half collaboration called Spaghetti Parm Space Station, which uh, an IPA, which was also really, really good. So, Lots of good stuff the last couple of weeks. Nice. I'm glad to hear you uh, ended up getting that Highland Park collab. Yeah, I was very excited to see it because I know I was talking with with Predler about it. Um, he's, it's, he's he's right, but he's right by there, and he was able to do a bunch of it. But it was up. Uh, yeah, my little my little stores was really really well stocked. Uh, I went on Christmas on New Year's Eve, and they had a ton of good stuff. So very excited to be able to get back over there soon. Very nice. Um, on my end, because uh, we were talking about the Alchemist. Um, there was 10 day old focal banger just sitting in my, uh, the back fridge at my local total wine somehow. Uh, so I ended up grabbing some of that. Um, I had a bottle of Mexican cake sitting around from Westbrook. Um, had, so got to enjoy that for the first time in a while. It doesn't really get out here. Um, except every so often. I barely even see the Mexican cake and we get a lot of other Westbrook stuff. It's, yeah. it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. And like, I mean, I know the first time you and I both had it was together, um, mm-hmm in manhattan and that was just so it's, it's still such a fantastic beer um i had from highland park uh, robo pills I had some timbo pills from highland park also had wonder cloud uh, hazy ipa from them that was like all citra um super light really not too bitter really enjoyed that one also had a little uh like kind of beer tasting event um for uh for new year's eve so i had from stone uh their uh, mexican lager their buena Vesa. Uh, salt and lime lager had a uh, Rue Keller Hells uh, from the brewery, their Hells lager had a uh, Cali Creamin uh, from Mother Earth Brewing, their uh, vanilla cream ale that's very good, and then also had uh, Samuel Smith, the uh, pure brewed organic lager. There was no date on the can, uh, so I was a little concerned, but ended up being pretty good. Really good, uh, you know, British pale lager um, example there. Um, and then the other night, I had some of the rest of some of those other beers, and then also uh, Celador's uh, Duo. Uh, nectarine wild ale that they made for their anniversary um in 2020 
productive. Yes. Did we stood a couple weeks for both of us? Yeah. Got 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 plenty coming up now. I'm, I'm officially a member of the Modern Times uh, Beer Society, so I'll, I'll be getting plenty of their stuff. Birthday this weekend, so we'll have. Oh yes, happy early birthday! I it's still just be either this or belated. So I'm probably, a v- very very old, thirty three. <laughs> <laughs> we are all a very old. Everything. There's no That's one right. that is like a young version of their age uh, in this time. This is also true. No, I, I are all I, hardened I, and grizzled. I, I got a great gift though. I'm uh, my in-laws got us a uh, a sushi making class, a virtual one. Ooh! So I'm, I mean, for, for those who follow me on Instagram, you'll see my my various food exploits. Um, but yeah, gonna learn how to make some sushi. Pretty excited. Very nice. Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll s- switch back to Syracuse-related stuff, Dan. Um, we figured there was gonna be at least like one departure. There always is uh, from the Syracuse football staff. Uh, this offseason, this time around, it was the name we didn't want to hear um, instead of the ones we might have wanted to. It was uh, Justin Lustig, uh, the uh, special teams coordinator, as well as outside receivers coach and assistant head coach at Syracuse. Um, after three very successful seasons, uh, manning a very, very good special teams group at SU, he heads over to Vandy. Kind of a lateral move in some ways, but as I kind of talked to people about on Twitter and in the comments section, um, on top of SEC money, which even though Vandy is like not a great program by any means, they still get SEC money the same as everybody else. Uh, so can't forget that. Um, and they're looking to ramp up too. Like there's a lot coming out of Vandy, and like it's a lot of money seen. in Nashville. Yeah, no, like they very much want to uh, elevate their program. Now, obviously, whether or not it'll be successful is is a whole other thing. And, and shout out to a former Syracuse, uh, very popular Syracuse assistant, Clark Lee, who is the head coach there now um, at his alma mater. Um, so he'll give it a shot and I think it'll be interesting to follow. He's uh, been really, really well regarded since he left SU. Um, but, uh, you know, whether or not he's successful, there's going to be money thrown around at that program. So good for Lustig to get his, uh, it'll, it's a really tough departure for us though. Oh, hundred percent. And like, as I was saying too, on, on the transition stuff, like Vandy now, because Lee comes in there, he is able to give Lustig at least two years, if not three minimum um at Vandy at one spot um positions himself well to get another job it doesn't really matter like what happens for the next couple of years to Vandy itself like that staff's not getting fired unless somehow they go 0-12 which seems unlikely like right now the security at SU isn't necessarily what it was even a year ago and and if you have a chance to jump and you have a chance to jump to another power conference job I think you do take it um, so I, I don't blame him for making that move. And I don't think at the same time, I don't think it says anything about Syracuse and the greater scheme as much as just the current situation for the current regime. Um, you know, Dino can obviously just correct all that with a winning season coming up um, because then that extension doesn't necessarily look like it. It contains lame duck years. It looks like it just contains, um, you know, a, a, a gradual fight back to not just be a, a, a six and six team. Um, on an annual basis, but maybe something more. And, and while it hasn't happened the way we wanted it to, I, I do think that that can still all occur if we see a, a six and six or better season um, coming up in 2021. But replacing him is going to be tough. Um, and I think it puts, it's going to test what people think they know, self-included uh, about SU and, and the budget they have for, for assistant coaches. Um, Dan, I know I named a couple um, potential replacements 
uh, for Lustig, but is there, is there any name that, that, that speaks to you as someone that we should hire versus maybe the person that we will hire? Um, I would bet on this hire coming internally. Uh, I know that's not the most exciting thing, but I think the, I guess what you could, how you could sell it is that like, even this year, the special teams have been so good, um, that you, you just pulled someone up that's like very familiar with what Lusted was doing. Um, that being said, like, I, I, I think I'd be more interested in seeing if you could pair someone as a position coach, um, alongside the special teams job. Like we obviously have Lusted working with receivers. Um, I thought the Steve Gregory mention by you was very interesting. Um, I don't know how realistic it is, but it would be nice to get some new blood on the staff. Um, he is currently out of a job. Yeah. It's uh, where was he? He was, uh, with the lions. Yeah. He was the lions under Patricia. Yeah. So that would be an interesting one. It'd be nice to get like, you know, not obviously we've, we've gone through like the, everyone went to Syracuse on staff thing. Um, or like a lot of people having gone here, but like, it would be nice to, you know, have someone in the family come back. Also someone who's like done jobs before. Um, I think it'll probably end up going to Jeff Lepak, um, just because he's, you know, been with, with the staff and they're comfortable with him and he has worked with, uh, with Lustig and like, that could be work out fine. Like, well, you know, we, we won't know until we actually see it. Um, I guess the one reason I'm like slightly optimistic about the hire in general is that like we've seen coaches who really don't take special teams all that seriously. Like even with like the good punters under Schaefer and even times under Marone, special teams was not a great emphasis. Um, I'd say towards like the later Marone years and then the early Schaefer years. Um, and like our numbers just weren't good. And it's been very obvious since the beginning that Babers really focuses on it. So I don't think he's going to be lazy about it. Um, so if he hires internally, I, I, I tend to think that he'll do it. No thinking that the person is the right person to keep the momentum there. Um, but it's, it's, it's tough to really know. Cause it's such like a, it's such a weird thing. Unless you just go grab someone from another staff who's like had a, you know, really good units there. It's, it's tough to really evaluate it otherwise. Um, but I know you posted a couple different special teams people uh, from elsewhere. Um, Saturnio from Army, Nunez from Eastern Michigan. Um, I think there was one person that uh, I want to say McAllister posted in his post, the, I think, what, Ball State guy? Um, yeah, this was a Ball State guy. There was somebody else at, like, Ohio, I want to say. Like, I saw he had a couple different names. A lot of them just, like, kind of, the, you know, the typical, like, oh, you know, bring somebody up from the Mac. And, like, there's been some really good special teams there. Um, I'm a little suspect of some of the Mac special teams numbers this past year. Um, not because they doubt like Bill C or any other metric, just because they only played a handful of games. I think Bill C will tell you to doubt his metric this year, just because like <laughs> some of the stuff in the SP plus was super goofy and, and it just because it wasn't built for what we, right. what this season was um, like Notre Dame fell to like 18th in SP plus. I think there were what, one spot ahead of uh, uh, Penn state. Yeah. <laughs> it was four and five. It's pretty yeah, wild. So, so, like, I think we can all take, and I think Bill would also tell you to take all the stuff with the rate with a huge grain of salt. That said, um, SU was, like, what, fourth in special teams? So definitely buy into that. I mean, you know, maybe that, maybe that was or wasn't accurate, but, like, our special teams have been so good since 2018. I feel like, and, and there was, like, I, I, mean, I think I talked about it a couple weeks ago, um, even, like, Nolan Tooney, I watched all year. I'm like, oh, he's just not as good as the last couple of guys. And then I went and looked at like the advanced numbers of PFF and then the special teams numbers. And I'm like, oh no, he's been really, really good. He's just like, maybe he doesn't quite have the leg player. of the other guys. <laughs> but like, I'm, we're just so spoiled from incredible punters that like a really good punter, like just looks a little off for us. <laughs> yeah. When realistically, like what three of your last four punters are like, I mean, Rob Long would have been 
um, as well. But three of your last four punters are future NFL players um, for the most part. Like, of, of course, you, you might look not as good in comparison. And he still might be. Like, his number's really good. He just, like, uh, you know, maybe you don't bet on it. But, yeah, so – I think I have enough faith in Dino knowing how important it is and how much of a how like in 2018 it was a huge part of why we were as good as we were. It's such an inefficiency to exploit because there's so many we teams were, that we were what second in field position that something year, something like that. And 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 the defense like when you combine good advantageous field position with uh, a turnover hungry defense that that bends and doesn't break like it's really hard to overcome that as an opposing offense unless you're really really efficient all the time and you know in the ACC. Uh, that's not always the case. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, really, I mean, we talk about it all the time. That season was, you know, the the, the apex of what can go right um, in, in a weird league where a lot of people sit in the middle. Um, this past season was what what can go wrong um, in a weird season where a lot of teams sit in the middle. Um, and it's funny because this year we were actually still really good at a lot of things that we were really good at in 2018. We were just so bad in the margins that it it, it well, and on offense. And on all, yeah, I mean, we were so bad in like the bigger places, right. but we still had those like inefficiencies where with an average offense, I think we would have been okay um, with, with the turnovers, with everything else, with the, I mean, injuries, obviously. Um, but like, I still think the, 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 the core things that set Syracuse apart in 2018 and allowed them to reach the heights they did despite like talent uh, deficiencies and whatnot, we're still being focused on and we're still good. It's just like at a certain point, you can't, you can only overcome so much. Agreed. Yeah, like uh, getting to like some of the other names. I know, like you mentioned that, you know, Babridge knows what he's doing here. And I do agree. I mean, realistically, I had some skepticism about the Lustig hire to begin with. He was D2, you know, Edinburgh University coach. And that, that it, this seemed like a Schaefer special almost in some regards. Um, pluck a guy out of relative obscurity uh, because in, in this case, they didn't work together. But, you know, for Schaefer, it was like, oh, we worked together once. And like, like back when I was in like two years at college and now he's our offensive coordinator um, versus like this, like, you know, we didn't know a ton about him obviously coming in. There was not really much to glean from it. I had my doubts and he ended up being arguably, you know, Dino's best uh, assistant hire. We'll see what Tony White turns into, but so far I think it's been like his best hire and wasn't even one of the original guys. Um, and Lustig Lester, did a great job. Um, so I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to doubt like Jeff LePac, who's had some success, um, you know, not running the show for special teams, but being part of the special teams group at SU elsewhere. Um, he was an offensive analyst this past season um, and kind of came over when Sterling Gilbert came over from McNeese State. Um, I think, like you said, Gregory's probably not going to happen, but it's worth noting him, if only because he has worked on the SU staff in the last 10 years. Um, Blair Cavanaugh is another name I saw floated around, and I really hope that's not who gets it. Um, he was on the special team staff this past year, but is also uh, Mike Cavanaugh's son. And I do feel like because he's completely unproven here, um, I just think it's too soon for him to take over such a you know important piece of the um, piece of what SU does. And really, it might be for LePak too, but at least LePak has a little bit more time. Um, George Rickamstrick was another one um, over at Buffalo. Uh, was a special teams coach for a year under Babers at Eastern Illinois. Uh, he's handled defensive tackles at Buffalo for a couple of years now, um, at least knows the area. Larry Porter was kind of a, a Hail Mary pick, um, if only because, you know, once you're in that kind of SEC uh, circle, known as a good recruiter, um, can handle some of those, uh, can handle that um, in a role like special teams. Auburn's typically had some pretty good special teams and, and, 
while he's you know probably looking for a job this offseason, he probably lands somewhere in the SEC once again. A um, couple of these other names are, are, are interesting enough, but the one idea I did want to highlight was one that I know you kind of alluded to it earlier. As someone had said in the comments um, of the Lustig replacement piece um, of something you could do is if you add someone uh, external like a Saturnio, you can give him tight end duty, um, you know, maybe give Lynch a line back, move Kavanaugh off the field, um, ferry to running backs, which he handled at Towson. And then you either bring somebody in for wide receivers um, or you elevate LePac to wide receivers coach. And I don't necessarily mind that idea um, as a way to kind of reshuffle some things. I don't think the running backs have gotten as much out of uh, their talent as they should have in recent years. Um, I think there's some concerns about Lynch, though, with offensive line. And, and I'm, I'm open to ideas, and I think we probably end up having one internal uh, hire. I just don't know what it is. So it's a fair point. And, like, I think there's something to be said for, like, maybe just go and find the best coach you can add to the staff and kind of figure out where you're putting, like, how you're moving the piece around. Because we do have a lot of guys who are kind of cross-trained and have – experience all over and i know that's a little scary because like there are spots that are very deficient and we especially like if we're moving around a line like maybe if this was like the obvious move we would have done it already um and obviously i know there are questions about like how how we handle Kavanaugh and whatnot but yeah it's uh you know the, the assistant coaching stuff is so difficult because like there's only so much you can know uh about any of these guys um that it's tough to like really get uh it's it's both hard to like make a wild guess at who it'll be. And then like, once it happens, like this, there's going to be a real sell job coming from SU. And like last year, we went through the whole ringer with our defensive coordinators. We were very excited about both at the time they were hired and Tony white seems to have worked out really well so far. So, you know, it's a good sign for Dino's ability to bring a new guy in. That wasn't really part of his whole crew, um, which, you know, we know was a question going into that. So hopefully we have a similar successful search this year and, and, you know, onward and upward, but, uh, yeah, it's it, it's it feels more crucial because of how important special teams has been to us uh, in our success under Baber. So hopefully it's not something we just like punt on. But I, no, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> really didn't mean that when I said it. Um, but really, but yeah. you, you can't screw this up because I, I think Babers understands that. And that's why I'm skeptical of the internal hire, if only because, yes, we could have a diamond in the rough. But why kind of take that chance when you pretty much have – like? When he's I know, there too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I know Wildhack said what he said about this not being a hot seat season. Um, I do think you have to win six games though this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like I respect Wildhack needs to say that. Like, no one can say that someone's on a hot seat. Like, it just right. doesn't. It doesn't work. Like, uh, Tom Herman wasn't on the hot seat four days ago, and he got fired. So, <laughs> like, you can't say that because you're you're undermining your entire administration. And unless you're firing the guy, like, it this year, like now. Um, there's really nothing to be gained from admitting it, but like we all know the situation. If it's another you know four one season, that's probably a wrap because it's very hard to sell that moving forward. I completely agree. Um, one thing I wanted to close on. Um, actually, you know what? I had like some other like random coaching names I was going to throw out there. Uh, Linear Sampson was somebody I was just going to talk about quick, but I feel like we're probably running out of time. Um, for those who recall, he was uh like the big play guy at Baylor. Um, toward the end of Baber's time there. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and he was on Syracuse's staff for a few years. Um, he's actually an offensive uh, quality control assistant for receivers right now at UCF. 
um, which I don't know if he's ready to take on the wide receiver role um, full-time necessarily, but um, a name within the quote-unquote coaching tree, I guess, um, of this group. Actually, I think Babers' coaching tree and the Babers and the, and the staff here coaching tree goes a little bit further than maybe we think um, when you think about how many of these guys um, have been able to find success. Um, obviously, like Lustig now, I was able to add his name to that list, but you know, Sean Lewis has really kind of helped grow that tree significantly over at Kent State as well. Sean Lewis is like one more really good year from like probably getting. Uh, I think he it, takes over Minnesota if uh, if Fleck leaves. If he can keep the keep it rolling at Kent State, like I mean, when he got that Kent State job, if you all remember, like Kent State could not find a coach. He was like their twelfth option. It, it, everyone they were like it was so ridiculous that people were writing like in-depth pieces as to why Kent State couldn't find a coach <laughs> and like going deep on why Kent State was like a, a, one of the five hardest jobs at FBS and he won a bowl, he, he went to a bowl game like what year two so yeah he it's really real and he was good this year too they were they were at the top of the map for a while um he's really close like he's gonna get a big a bigger job I don't know if it'll be like a kind of a uh, hard to win job like Illinois. If he takes over for Fleck, if Fleck jumps to the NFL, which has been rumored, or jumps to another program, like Minnesota is a pretty good job, I think. Um, I would be for him, like, I almost would wonder, and this is like total tangent, I almost would wonder if like jumping to a bigger group of five wouldn't be the smarter move than jumping to like a bad Big Ten team. I guess it depends on what you think of Minnesota. You tried, Minnesota would, I think, would be okay because like, like a number of coaches have won that. But like Illinois but, would not be. Illinois is tough. Like that's a Maryland, job Illinois, Maryland, Rutgers. Like don't even really Indiana most years. Like well, Tom Allen, sound, I think it's just there. Yeah, like, he, yeah, he's entrenched. Um, I think it's like I think you're the smart. And I don't know. It's hard to turn down the money that those Big Ten teams can throw at you, um, even if it's not like top of the conference money. It's a lot bigger than the group of five. But if 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 for, in terms of like lawn view, I feel like if you're a really smart coach who is especially if you're a young guy like lewis who has a long time in this in the profession like maybe look at a mountain west job or uh, an aac job and just say like we're not going to make the jump to the power five from here because we're going to be jumping to a really tough place meanwhile if you can go to the aac and like win eight nine games a year for a bit like you're going to get a shot at a much better power five job and you're not going to maybe risk flaming out as quickly as you might at illinois even if it's like no fault of you your own totally um, all right, I think that wraps us up for this week. Um, Dan, anything else before we go? Yes. Um, uh, as anyone who's listening to this knows, Floyd Little passed away over the weekend. Uh, I believe Floyd was back at SU, like in his job with the athletics. Definitely when I was there. I don't know if he was there in 2010 when you graduated, but um, pretty much anyone who, who, if you've read online, like who interacted with Floyd at any level, like you can't say enough about what an awesome guy he was. Just like a really genuine, nice person, and that's saying based on like really brief interactions I had with him at the time, but truly like just no one had a bad thing to say about him or like even like anything less than a glowing thing to say about him after he passed away. So yeah, just a true legend. Uh, one of the best to come out of Syracuse and like every level you could describe. So RIP to Floyd. Hope his family's doing well. Uh, yeah. It's a tough one. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we kind of were like, unfortunately, like not expecting to hear this news. Like we didn't know when, but uh, once he was put on hospice uh, in November, it definitely was, wasn't a great prognosis. Um, I, I'm bummed I never got to meet him, to be honest, uh, because, you know, obviously I've worked with SU in, in various regards, um, you know, here as a writer. But um, when I was on campus, I didn't necessarily as much. Um, 
So it, it, it's it's a bummer, obviously, to lose a, to lose anyone, but especially to lose a, a great person. And, and and by all accounts, you know, somebody who really wanted to help, um, you know, not just pave the way, but also help lead everybody after him um, as well. And 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 that's pretty awesome. And 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 I I hope that you know the lessons folks have learned from him um, get passed on uh, just as much as he passed on that knowledge as well. The the Floyd GIF will take on uh, new meaning next year. <laughs> Still going to get used. Every oh, it's so good. And I think Floyd would want that if Fair. he knew what gifts were, which we, we're not sure. <laughs> but he was Maybe. a legendary one. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trainers and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, uh, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.